great. Yeah, as, as, as Gabe mentioned, um, we are planning to launch as Harbor New Uwanu. We're going to be here, same time, same place, so don't think, wait, where are we going? Uh, it's going to be here. So that's going to be in February, and we'll, as Gabe mentioned, we'll have a catered lunch, and we just celebrate this new chapter in our church history. Uh, he also mentioned if you need a Bible, we have them in the back table, as well as right outside. If you don't own a Bible, take it, keep it, our gift from us to you. And then finally, if you want to connect with the church, you have a question about the church, you want to be more involved... On our bulletins, we have a place where you can put your name, email. You can just take that, slip it into the box in the back, and then we'll, we'll connect with you uh, through email. All right, so we are launching into a new sermon series. You might notice on the tables that there's a half sheet with a graphic, a circular graphic, and then a grid on the bottom. Uh, don't worry about figuring out what that is. That's going to actually be built into the teaching this morning. I'll explain what that is uh, towards the end of our teaching. So it's not a random paper that, uh, that the school left on the table, but that's, we're going to use that for, um, for this morning. Uh, if you don't see a paper around you, uh, there's extra ones on the tables. There's also papers on the very back table where we have the offering box. So um, they're just all over the place. All right, so we're going to be in First Timothy. Uh, we're going to be launching into a new series um, called uh, uh, The Fight. And so uh, we're going to be spending a few months walking through First Timothy in the New Testament. So if you have one of our New Song Bibles, that's on page 576, 576 in one of our uh, New Song Bibles. So, you know, if you've been around Christian circles long enough, you'll probably hear this term of fight, battle. And maybe you're kind of like, never really understood that. Like, what does that mean? Why do Christians talk about that? For example, Christians will say something like, man, I'm fighting my flesh. That just sounds really weird, doesn't it? It's like, what does that mean to fight uh, my flesh? Like, am I punching myself? Am I physically harming myself? That's not what it means. But if you've been around Christian circles long enough, you'll hear something like that. Christians say, I'm, I'm really battling my flesh right now. Or, or, or they'll say something like, you know, I'm, I just want to fight the good fight. I want to fight the good fight. And maybe you may be thinking, well, I thought Christians don't promote violence, and why are they talking about fighting a fight? Uh, or maybe you'll hear something like, um, oh, the evil one has just been battling me. Satan has just been attacking me. And you know, the thing, well, what, what is that all about? Uh, and so this morning, we're going to be thinking about what does it mean uh, as followers of Jesus uh, to to fight, to be involved in what the Bible describes as a spiritual uh, battle. It's possible to be in a battle and not even realize that we're in a battle. You know, if, if you've watched Marvel movies at all, uh, Avengers and whatnot, right? A, a lot of times the Avengers, the good guys are fighting these alien, you know, figures. And the population, the world that they're trying to save a lot of time has no idea that there's a war going on and that these Avenger heroes are saving them. They're just going about their daily business. And it's only until like a building collapses do people around them realize, oh, there's a war going on. And so uh, in, in the same way, uh, we even as, if you're Christian or even as uh, non-Christians, Right? We can be totally oblivious that there is some sort of battle, uh, war that is going on, and, and that is oftentimes unseen. Now, when, when Christians, when the Bible talks about spiritual warfare or battle, uh, it's not like other belief systems where there's like a yin and a yang, there's like a good and a bad, and they're like 
50-50, where you're not too sure who's going to win. The way the Bible teaches uh, warfare or the spiritual battle is God is 100% in control. And his enemies, Satan, which is a created spiritual being, and his demons, which we believe that they're not allegory, but they're actual uh, uh, spiritual beings, that they're defeated, that they have no power and authority uh, that comes on their own, but God grants them power and authority. In other words, uh, and what that means is Satan and evil, the evil spirits have to listen to God. And so God uses them as tools to accomplish his purposes. They have authority and power only because God has granted them. So that's the, that's the, the Christian belief. It's, it's not 50-50 good evil versus evil, but it's God who has full authority and power who, who in his purposes that oftentimes we don't fully grasp, it uses evil, wickedness, uh, the devil, demons, even evil people to accomplish his purposes. But not only that, God expects his people to join this battle, this fight. We are expected, if we're followers of Jesus, to join this battle and fight that Paul is going to call the good fight when he's writing uh, to Timothy. Maybe this morning, uh, you know, maybe for some of us, we feel like our life has been kind of purposeless recently. We're like, why? What am I even doing? Like, I feel like I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. Life is mundane. Maybe you feel like there's no purpose in your life. Uh, And one of the reasons could be is we don't recognize that we're actually in a war, a spiritual battle. Imagine if we were placed on a war field where we got transported to the Middle East, but there's war going on right now, and we're right in the middle of gunfire, we wouldn't be like, ah, I got no purpose, I'm just doing, you know, existing here. No, if we're in the middle of a battlefield, we, we, we would think to ourselves, we got to get to safety, we got to decide who's the, the, the good people and who's the bad people and get on the good people's side. So a lot of times as Christians, we can get jaded with life, confused, because we forget that there's an actual battle that's, that, that, that's, that's waging war. And God has called us to fight this good fight, which looks like loving God with all of our heart, with all of our being. And it looks like loving our neighbor as ourself, as we seek to share the good news of Jesus with others. And so this morning, we're going to launch into 1 Timothy as Paul's going to describe this battle, this fight. And he's encouraging Timothy, his mentee, to join the battle with him. And so this is more of an introductory sermon uh, where we're just going to look at the key figures and the context of this letter. And so let me go ahead and read to us 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our Lord, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine or any different teaching. Now, First, let's just get some terms out of the way. The word apostle can be a really confusing word. That word apostle has a couple different uh, definitions. It's important to know. Here, when Paul uses the word apostle, think of big A apostle. There's no more apostles uh, on this earth anymore. An apostle was someone who had the authority to speak and write the very words of God. 
Right, so Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament because he is an apostle. He's been given the authority to speak and write the very words of God. They are also the ones, these big A apostles, who were a unique handful of people who saw the risen Jesus, who saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. There are no, uh, no more apostles living uh, in this age. So if you go to church or you hear someone online saying, I'm an apostle, I'm apostle so-and-so, you say, oh, you should be kind of cautious with that. There are no more apostles anymore who speak the very words of God that we would record down and say, all right, this is God's word. There's no more of that. The Bible is closed. That's big A apostle. That's what Paul is talking about when he says he is an apostle of Christ Jesus, this select special group that no longer is on the earth. Now, the word apostle can also be used because it literally means to be sent, sent one. So the word apostle uh, is often used to describe missionaries who are sent out by the church to bring the gospel to places that, that the gospel has not been heard yet. Uh, apostles have also been used to describe church planters who go out and plant churches in places where there aren't any churches. But when Paul uses this word here, it's speaking of this select group who has seen the risen Jesus Christ and whose very words are the words of God. So when we read First Timothy, we take it as the very words of God. So he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, and he's writing to Timothy, verse 2, my true child in the faith. This is not his biological child, as, and we're going to see that. This is someone who, who came to faith through Paul, through Paul, Paul's preaching of the gospel. He's also a mentee of, of Paul. He's younger than Paul. And he's a partner with Paul as he goes around the Mediterranean world planting churches. So uh, they are partners uh, together. And Paul is urging Timothy in verse 3 to stay in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey. So that's, that's what's going on right now is Paul is writing to Timothy uh, as in apostle. So let's get a little background on Paul. We'll get a little background on Timothy. We'll look at why Paul wrote this letter. And then we're going to close it off there. So again, this morning is more of an introductory into First First um, Timothy. All right. So who is uh, who's Paul? And you can read about his conversion in Acts uh, Acts chapter nine. So he's the author uh, of this letter. Like I mentioned, he's called uh, in apostle, and he has a very colorful background. Right. His his name is also Saul. Uh, he didn't. He probably didn't change his name. Some people will say, "Oh, Saul changed his name to Paul." When he became a Christian, that's probably not the case because Luke doesn't say that uh, in in the book of Acts. Uh, Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Roman name. So that's kind of it. It's it's not, oh, he got converted and so he changed his name. It's probably just because two two different names uh, from two different languages and... um, but for those who don't know his background, and you can read about it again in in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, is Paul, Paul was a terrorist. He was someone who went around terrorizing Christians, imprisoning them, uh, having them murdered, persecuting them, harassing them, chasing them down, using his authority to abuse Christians. That was his background. Jesus meets him on the road as he was, he was wanting to persecute more Christians and imprison them. Jesus meets him. The risen Jesus meets him on the road. He gets converted. He gets knocked off of his horse. And if someone knocks you off your horse, it's, you should listen to him. And that was Jesus. He gets knocked off his horse and he converts to Christianity. He believes that Jesus is uh, 
the Christ, their long-awaited king, their long-awaited Messiah. And so Paul, this new convert who's very passionate uh, about about, um, persecuting Christians, is now passionate for Jesus. He wants to join the other apostles and disciples of, of Jesus, but they don't want to join him. (laughs) <laughs> they don't want to join him. And that makes sense, right? Imagine if you were to hear, hey, you know, there's this former ISIS member. Yeah, he wants to come to your uh, gospel community group. <laughs> right? Well, what would you say? For, former ISIS member, gospel community, um, he wants to join your small group. Uh, imagine if this guy says, hey, guys, let's pray. Everyone close your eyes. <laughs> hey, honestly, would you, say, would you say, yeah, sure, I'm going to close my eyes. <laughs> No, there'd be a lot of reservation, a lot of wondering, uh, I don't know if this guy's legit. So it makes sense that the, the church in Jerusalem, they, they didn't, they were unsure. Is this guy really a Christian or is he just pretending to be a Christian to arrest us? And so a man named Barnabas, a Christian, joins up with Paul and, and Barnabas brings Paul uh, to the disciples and apostles and basically says, basically says, this guy's legit. This guy, I've, I've seen this guy. He's, he's not false. He does want to follow Jesus. And, and from there, Paul and Barnabas go off on, on, on missionary journeys together as they go around the Mediterranean world planting churches, sharing uh, the good news of Jesus. And one of the places he goes, Paul goes to, is in um, Lystra, which is also in modern-day Turkey. He goes to this, this, uh, this city called Lystra, and there a young man named Timothy lived. Uh, and he, Timothy probably heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, preached by Paul, believed, and became a follower And so he joins Paul on Paul's missionary journeys throughout the Mediterranean world. So in Acts 16, I have this on the slide. Here's what it says. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. Lystra, Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So interesting thing here, right, with, with Timothy's background. So Timothy is not full Jewish, right? His father is Greek. Also, his father was not a Christian. So here, and this gives me a lot of encouragement, right? Here you have his mother is a Christian. His father is not a Christian, how messy of a situation was that, right? I can't imagine where, where Timothy's growing up and his mom's saying there's only one true God. His dad's saying, no, there, there, there's, there's a ton of gods. His mom says, go to church, right? Meaning the, the house church. His dad says, no, go to the Greek temples and worship the Zeus. So I can't imagine uh, just the mess that Timothy was in, uh, in a household where there was one believer and there was one that wasn't. But I find great encouragement that it, it didn't matter because he still was saved. God broke through this messy situation and he saved Timothy. Timothy came to believe in Jesus as uh, the Savior and uh, his King. And so his father was a Greek, so he was partial Jew in ethnicity, uh, and he had a good reputation, right? He's a young man, but had a really good reputation. He was well spoken of by the brothers, uh, other Christians in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and circumcised him. Maybe, I mean, we read this, we're like, wait, what is going on here? 
Right? Can you imagine if we were to say, hey, we got a mission trip coming up. Anyone invited? Five guys raise their hand. I want to go on this mission trip. Okay, put on your pants. I'm going to circumcise you. Right? Isn't that what's going on here? Right? Paul wants to take Timothy on this missionary journey. And it says he circumcised him. Paul, sir, and Timothy's not a baby. Right? But in his teens, young man, young adult. And Paul circumcises him. Now, for us in 21st century Western context, it's like, what in the world is going on here? Right? Why is Paul doing this? Why is Timothy being circumcised? The reason is because the group of people they're going to interact with, reach for Jesus with, uh, one of the barriers is, 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 if, is if a person is circumcised or not. And that's the Jews. Notice he mentions that. Because of the Jews who were in those places. So it would be an issue if Timothy was not circumcised. That would be a barrier for, for them not to hear, um, uh, for them to hear the gospel. Uh, so, for example, uh, we went on a mission trip to a Southeast Asian country, and one of the things in their culture were, was women and men had to dress a certain way. And if we didn't dress a certain way, it'd be super offensive to them. And so we dressed in their culture so that it wouldn't be a barrier to them hearing about the good news of Jesus. Uh, interesting note is there was another mentee of Paul named Titus. We went through that letter uh, to Titus a few months ago. Titus was not circumcised. In the book of Acts, uh, Luke makes it clear and, and, and wants to make sure we know that when Paul took Titus to Jerusalem, he didn't have Titus be circumcised. Galatians talks about that too. So it's interesting, right? It was based upon the audience, the people that they were reaching out to, that they would adjust and inconvenience themselves and in, in this case, pain, <laughs> in order to, to, to bring the good news of Jesus to a people group so that there wouldn't be a barrier there uh, that would keep the good news from, from going. So that's why he was, uh, that's why he was circumcised. Um, that's intense, right? Now, when we think about Paul and Timothy, maybe we have this like elevated view of them. Like they're these saintly figures that we can... Like, we're just not even on their level. They're almost like the Avengers in Marvel. Like, they're these superhumans that go around doing a crazy things for God, and we're just lowly, ordinary people. But Paul and Timothy are a lot like us. They're a lot like us. And I would want to encourage us not to put them on pedestals to think that they're these superhuman people that, that have have something that we don't have. We, we have the same Holy Spirit that was empowering them. Think about Paul, right? Paul's an interesting character where uh, he even writes in his letters that one of the critiques of Paul in, in 2 Corinthians where people were, were talking stink about him. They're saying when Paul writes, he sounds really impressive, you know, there are some people when you read their writing, you, you kind of imagine what they look like. Oh, this guy must have this strong uh, a presence. His voice must be deep and strong. And when you see them in real life, you're like, oh, they do not look like how they write. So one of Paul's, Paul's critics, uh, the critics were, tell, were talking about Paul and saying, Paul sounds really mean or really intense and really powerful in his letters. But when you see him, He's not impressive. So that, that was one of the things about Paul. He didn't look impressive. He, in fact, when he spoke, he wasn't like really eloquent. He wasn't someone that gave all these types of sermons that leave you thinking, wow, this guy is a master speaker. Must have took speech one-on-one in college. 
No, in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, Paul talks about he, he came to the church of Corinth with fear and trembling, and his words were not persuasive. It was so that when the people believed, they couldn't credit Paul's speaking ability, but it would have to be because of the Holy Spirit who was changing uh, people's lives. Our earliest records of what Paul looked like was about 100 years after Paul lived. So one person wrote in the second century about Paul's physical appearance. Uh, and, and what this, this, this man wrote about Paul was Paul was short, bald, crooked legs, long nose, and a unibrow. Okay, so this is second century, uh, about 100 years after, after Paul lived. Okay, so is this second century writer accurate? We don't know. We don't know if this is accurate, but that's the earliest reference outside the Bible about what Paul looks like. Uh, so can you picture that, right? if, if this is true, right? Short, balding man, right? Crooked legs, unibrow, preaching the gospel. It's interesting, when you read the book of Acts, right, there's this one, right, in one of the cities, Paul and Barnabas are preaching the good news. Paul gets stoned, he gets rocks thrown at him, Barnabas doesn't. You're almost wondering, why? <laughs> well, are they picking on the shorter guy here? Uh, but the point being is, is, Paul wasn't seen as this elevated, saintly figure who did everything right. No, he was someone that wasn't impressive physically. They respected his letters, but the people didn't respect him when, when, when they saw him. They said, this guy is not impressive. But yet, God used Paul in massive, massive ways. Not because Paul was so great, but because God is so great. When Paul encountered Jesus, he so fell in love with Jesus and was so empowered by the Holy Spirit that Paul would endure so much suffering. He would be whipped. He'd be beaten with rods. He'd experience being in a shipwreck for Jesus. Um, he would be, like I mentioned, stoned, which is basically taken out, right? People grab stones and they throw them at you until you die, right? And so Paul got stoned and they thought he was dead. Paul experienced massive, massive suffering. And it wasn't because he was a super Marvel hero character, is because he encountered Jesus and experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's available to each and every one, one of us. He was willing to fight the good fight, which is to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love his neighbor as himself. And for Paul, that meant going throughout the Mediterranean world, bringing the gospel. Not just Paul, but Timothy as well. Paul encouraged Timothy, enter this good fight with me. Don't be, uh, don't, don't let suffering stop you from entering this good fight. Timothy wasn't an impressive character at all. He's not the person that, by social, uh, social stand, uh, standards, we would think, oh, this guy's going to be a big deal growing up. He's going to be an influencer. That wasn't Timothy. Timothy probably wasn't the guy that, in high school, we would vote most likely to succeed or most athletic. That, that wasn't Timothy. In fact, when we you know, read through the letters, 1 Timothy and even in 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy seemed like a person, a young man who was very shy, timid, self-conscious, uh, was someone that needed to be encouraged by other people. Paul writes to Timothy about the need to be, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, 
but one of power and love and of a sound mind. Timothy needed to hear that because it seemed like Timothy was a shy, timid, passive, passive guy. Not only in his personality, but Timothy also had physical ailments. In, in, in the letters to, to, to Timothy, Paul encourages Timothy, because of his stomach problems and other sicknesses, to drink a little wine, alcohol. Uh, not to get drunk, but as for medicinal purposes, because Timothy was having stomach problems and other physical ailments. So physically, Timothy struggled. Uh, even it seemed like within his own personality, there were challenges uh, there as well. Also, Timothy was a young man. And what that means is in their society, age and experience uh, was what was highly treasured and valued. Not like in our society, it's right youth, right? In, in these days, if you're young, you just did not have respect. So Timothy needed to earn respect, not through his words alone, but through his actions, through his life, and through his example. So Timothy had a lot of barriers that could keep him from fighting the good fight. So my, my main encouragement is, maybe for us, we think, man, like, I, I don't know if God can use me. I don't know if God wants to use me uh, with my relationships at home or at work or at school. I'm just not, I'm not this, this, this saintly figure. No, Paul, uh, God uses the broken people. God uses the weak people so that people would not praise us, but praise God. So we don't take credit. So I hope we get encouraged by Paul and Timothy and seeing that they were they're ordinary human beings just like us who are changed by Jesus. And so we can experience that same changing and empowering work of God as well. So why did Paul write this letter to Timothy? What was the purpose? First Timothy 3, 14, and 15. See this up on the screen. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, the church, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. So here, the reason why Paul is writing is because this church was messed up. And we're going to think about this next week. This church was really messed up. And there were false teachings that were going on in this church. And basically, Paul is telling Timothy, there, you, have to, um, you have to set things in order. The church needs to know how the church should function. And so there's dysfunction in the church. And Timothy, and think about this, this, uh, uh, this, this thing that Paul, Timothy has to do. He has to basically, as a young man, <laughs> has to go into this church and, and set things in order. And we're going to see what things are out of order as we go through 1 Timothy. But that's an intimidating task. But what I want to see here is that, that it's not just Paul fighting the fight, good fight. It's not just Timothy fighting the good fight. But it's the entire church, which is not an organization. The church is, it's people. It's people. And so every follower of God is called, is, is commanded by God to be a part of um, fighting the good fight. Fight. And so Timothy stays in Ephesus in this church to do that. Back in 1 Timothy 1 3, just to remind us, go back to the previous slide, verse 3, he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, modern day Turkey, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So again, in this church, there were false teachings that were, that were happening, uh, and it was, um, it was ruining 
the church and threatening the message of the good news of Jesus. That through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are reconciled to the Father through faith in uh, the faith in Jesus. So Paul is calling Timothy to fight the good fight, but he's also, in a sense, calling the church, the rest of the church, to come in line and to live in light of the good news of Jesus. So for us, uh, as we walk through 1 Timothy, um, we're going to be thinking about what does it mean to fight the good fight? And we're going to be looking at that each week through 1 Timothy. And uh, to help us in this, we're also going to uh, invite you to um, join us as we uh, together fight the good fight through applying practical habits into our daily lives. You see, God has called us in fighting the good fight to love the greatest commandment. is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's how we fight the good fight. And we're going to see that played out in 1 Timothy. And so to encourage that, um, we're going to invite the church to this series in 1 Timothy to, uh, to build practical habits that fuel a love for God and a love for our neighbors, and to do this as a community. So uh, this idea comes from the book, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction by author Justin Earley. Uh, This book was actually nominated uh, or got the award uh, for Christianity Today's 2020 Book Award uh, for Discipleship. And so who is this guy? And what is this book? Uh, and this graphic that you see on the table, there's also ones on the back table, if you, there's not enough on the calf tables. Um, this graphic is taken from the book. And so Justin, who is this, this, this guy, Justin Early? Well, he served as a missionary in China a few years back. He moved back to the United States because he wanted to practice law. He's an attorney in the top firm in Virginia. So he moves back to the United States and he works as an attorney. In his transition back to the U.S., something wasn't right. He, he was experiencing great anxiety and panic attacks. And so one night, he just couldn't sleep. He woke up in the middle of the night uh, and was experiencing this anxieties and panic attacks. He rushed to the emergency room. And what the doctor basically told him was, hey, you're actually fine. You're, what you're experiencing are symptoms of clinical anxiety and panic attacks. It's very common. And so Justin thinks to himself, you know, what, what, what's going on? Like, why... why why am I experiencing this? So he tries sleeping pills. So he thinks, okay, if I take sleeping pills, that's going to stop the panic attacks. That's going to allow me to, to sleep well. But what happened was the side effects of those sleeping pills started to affect him. He started having mood swings. He, he was crying and weeping at random points where he couldn't explain why, you know, why am I crying? Uh, he was even getting suicidal thoughts. Things were unraveling for him. Then he thought, you know, I'll try alcohol. If I just drink, you know, then that'll help me fall asleep. But that led to an unhealthy, uh, uh, just an unhealthy alcohol habit. His life was falling apart. And so he was thinking to himself, how can I go from a missionary in China 
to my life falling apart in the United States. So one night he sat down with a group of friends and he was just kind of talking out his experience and even thinking about his own, uh, his own habits, his own lifestyle. And, and through that, through his conversation with friends and through introspection, just looking at his own lifestyle, he realized that a lot of the habits, the daily habits in his life, in his life was not influenced by his Christian beliefs, but it was actually influenced by American culture. And so a lot of his daily rhythms was not based upon the Bible, but was influenced by what uh, our society um, our society values. So our, if you know what habits are, habits are our, our behaviors uh, that occurs automatically. We don't think about it because they're habits already. Things that we do, but they're subconscious. That's why, you know, when you're, when you're driving home from work, and you're like, wow, when we went from work to home, and you're like, I don't even remember. I don't even know how I got home, turning left or turning right. You ever, you ever had that? We are driving home, you're like, wow, I don't even know how I got home, but I got home. You weren't intentionally thinking, turn right here, turn right left there. And that's because it's a habit. It's something that's already been built in through repetition. And so Duke University came out with a study that as much as 40% of our actions are not a product of our choices, but a product of our habits. In other words, about 40% of what we do is not because we choose to do it. That's kind of scary. Think about it, right? We live in a free country. But about 40% of what we do is actually not because we choose it, but it's out of our habits. And what Justin realized is that his habits were not something he chose, but was something that the culture chose for him. Interesting. Chose for him. It's habits that, he realized it's, it's daily habits uh, formed his heart for better or for worse. So he realized that something needed to change in his life. And so he didn't do some massive life change. Uh, he didn't quit his job. He still works at, at his, his firm. But what he did was little changes in his habit. And so in his book, he talks about he now sleeps like a baby. <laughs> he now sleeps like a baby. Uh, these habits that he built into his life were small things, things like praying or having some hours away from his phone, taking a day off of work, making it a habit to keep conversations with friends. Uh, these are habits that were shaping his heart uh, towards God. So this idea of practicing habits to shape us, to be more like Jesus, to fight the good fight, uh, is known as a common rule or rule of life. And the, the idea of it is it's meant to be practiced as a community. It's not something that you do on your own, but it's something as a community that we practice together. And it's not a, it's not a new idea. This is something that the ancient church fathers have practiced. Um, if you're familiar with the monastic life, those who live in the monasteries, yeah, they had some extreme forms of, of the rule of life. But their goal in, in, their, in their daily living as a community was to love God and to love their neighbor as themselves. So this idea of a, of a rule of life, it's not new. It's something that has been practiced throughout church history. And so as we go through First Timothy, as we learn to fight the good fight, this is something that um, we want to implement to help us in, in doing that. So how is that going to look for us? Well, let's look at the graphic and let me explain it to us. So if you look at it, uh, let's look at the, the, the top part, just that, that the picture of the circle. So there are habits that encourage us to love God. So that's on the left side if you're looking at the paper. And then 
habits that encourage us to love our neighbor. And, and that's, that, that, that's intertwined as well. There are habits that look at the very top that call us to embrace things. Things that are good, that are healthy. And there are other habits that are to resist things that are unhealthy. Unhealthy. There are habits done daily. So if you look at that inner circle, right, you see those four different graphics. There are habits that we can do on a daily basis. And if you widen that circle on the outer band, there are habits that we can do weekly. And so what are those habits that, that Justin talks about in his book? Well, there are daily habits, and those habits are kneeling, prayer three times a day, having one meal with others each day, one hour with our phone off, scripture before phone, reading scripture, meaning God's word before looking at our phones. Weekly habits include one hour of conversation with a friend, curate media for four hours. And some of us are like, wait, what? There goes my streaming. The Mandalorian. Oh, no. <laughs> Fast from something for 24 hours and uh, Sabbath, right? Sabbath rest. Okay, so um, what we're, 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 we want to invite you as we go through First Timothy is we're planning to take one, one habit, one habit a week, and encourage the church to practice it together. And then uh, what I'm going to do is explain what the habit is, why we do it, and then the next week we'll do a different habit. The, the following week, we'll do a different habit. And then whatever, after we go through the series, whatever habits are like really just helpful, I want to encourage you to keep doing that uh, uh, beyond this sermon series. It, it's, this is not meant to be like a checklist, like, all right, I want to do all these things, and that's going to make me better with God. No, right? We believe as followers of Jesus that there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do that can make us acceptable to God. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to die to take our sin. Because we couldn't bear it on our own, right? And he rose again to give us new life. And we uh, are joined with Christ through faith in what he has done. These habits fuel that love for God and fuel that love for our neighbor. So, so this upcoming week, what I want to invite us to participate in is that first daily habit. And that is kneeling prayer three times a day. I want to encourage us to kneel in the morning, sometime in the morning, kneel in the in the middle of the day, midday, and to, meal, uh, to kneel, uh, and every meal, at, at evening to pray, right? And what prayer does is it reminds us that we've been created to know God and to enjoy him. And we do that by, one of the ways we do that is by talking to him. We kneel and we go to our knees because it reminds us that we're not the kings and queens of our lives, that we have a king and his name is Jesus and we surrender to him. He uh, is the one who is uh, our Lord, our master, our leader, our ruler. And, And just as we physically kneel, we pray that our hearts would bow to King Jesus. So in the morning, it could look like waking up, rolling out of bed, and getting right to our knees uh, in prayer. And it doesn't have to be a long prayer. It can be a simple one. Here, here's a sample. I think I have it on a slide. Here's, here's just one, one type of prayer you could pray. I think I have it up here on the slide. If you want to... Should be. Sim- simple as this, right? Spirit, I was made for your presence. May this day be one I spend with you in all that I do. It could be as just simple as that. Just resetting. Oh yeah, that's right. Today is all about Spending time with God, enjoying Him, and serving Him 
honoring him in all that we do. It could be as simple as that. And it's good. You know, when we get on our knees in prayer and we're tired, right? Something happens to our bodies. We begin thinking to ourselves, wait, this is sore. This is uncomfortable. My knees hurt. And, and, and that can be a good thing. Okay. Not only does it wake us up, but it, it reminds us that our life is, our goal isn't comfort in life. It's enjoying God and, and, and obeying him. Then in the afternoon, maybe it's a lunch break in the office where you have an opportunity, or it could be uh, when the kids are out at recess and you're allowed to, you know, you, there's no one in the, in the classroom, or it could be after work, when you get home from work, uh, going into your room, getting on our knees and praying. It can be a prayer like this, and, and here's a prayer we can pray. Jesus, and notice I'm going to reference every member of the Trinity. Jesus, I was made to join your work in the world. Please order the rest of my day in love for the people you have given me to serve. And that might just be a great lunch prayer, right? Where we're in the work grind, we're irritated at the boss, our coworkers getting under our skin, the customers are just, uh, just not fun to deal with, getting on our knees and reminding, that's right, Lord, I was, I was made to join you in your work. God is a working God, and we worship God as we image him through work. And it's a reminder that, that we would rest in his love as we work and serve others. And then finally, when the day uh, comes to a close, we're about to get ready to sleep, uh, get on our knees, and, and we thank God for his faithfulness. So one of the things our, our family does is uh, when we go to bed, we'll, we'll kneel at our daughter's bedside, and we'll just remind them, hey, we're, the reason why we're kneeling is because Jesus is our king. And just as we physically kneel, we want our hearts to bow down and worship King Jesus because he is the one we listen to. Again, it doesn't need to be long. And so a prayer could be something like this. Father, I was made to rest in your love. May my body rest in sleep, and may my mind rest in your love. Amen. So these are just suggested uh, prayers. You don't need to do that verbatim, but if you're just not sure what to pray, you could just use that as a way to pray. But the idea here is that we're, we're, we're being intentional about establishing habits that fuel our love for God and our love for our neighbor. Now, can you imagine, right? 30, 40 of us, just that, that, that picture this week, 30, 40 of us on our knees before our king, praying to him. Uh, that's just a beautiful, powerful picture of the church unifying together and coming to worship God uh, through prayer. So I want to encourage us that we would build and, build and foster this love for God, love for Jesus, and our neighbor. So we're going to just spend time doing that as we respond in, in singing. I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, give an opportunity that we can pray to God. It might be something as God, you know, I'm it could be just telling God, God, you know, I'm kind of like this guy Justin in the book. I've just been anxious, and I've been letting culture, technology, media, social media actually, actually build habits for me. Uh, and I, I want to have a healthy spiritual life in you. Uh, and, and praying that, that Jesus would use these, these tools uh, to fuel our love uh, for him. So let's go ahead and just spend a moment to just praying to God. And maybe just crying out to God, God, help. I need help right now. I need help. So let, let's just go ahead and, and pray.
Father, we thank you for Jesus who you sent to live this life in perfect obedience to you, an obedience that we, we could never measure up to, so that he would die on the cross to take uh, the righteous, perfect uh, punishment uh, that we deserved for our rebellion against you. That Jesus would be our substitute so that through faith in him, we would be declared righteous. And through faith in him, we would be adopted into your family as children. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells and lives in all those who are yours. And he is shaping us to be more like Jesus in his love, in his character. And we pray that you would use even these, these habits that we've, we've looked at. Use it, Lord, to fuel a greater and deeper love and affection for you. And a greater love for our neighbor. As you send us out into this world. And so we want to respond now to the good news of Jesus and what he has done for us, his death and resurrection. We want to respond now to, by taking communion and through singing worship of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.